We are wrapping up our study on the life of Peter, even though much more could be said uh, about Peter, and particularly as he continues his life in the New Testament era, uh, in the church era. Uh, but we need to stop here with him, and then we are going to be moving into Holy Week in the next uh, few weeks. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 1. Then I'll be doing some skipping around, so stay engaged. All right? <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were standing. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had much wine. When in doubt, always blame the alcohol. <laughs> then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And then Peter gives the first, test, the first sermon here in the New Testament era. And then jumping over, I want to go to verse 36. As Peter sums it all up, he says, Therefore, let Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A question that I have for all of us this morning is this. Are you engaging with the enemy? Are you taking territory for the kingdom of God? Are you out there 
on the front lines, battling against the forces of darkness, exposing them with the light of the good news. Because I believe that describes a day in the life of Jesus. Jesus declared when he came into the world that his mission was this. As he uh, quoted the prophet, he said, My mission is to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus set about doing that as we see him uh, confronting evil spirits. We see him calling out injustice. We see Jesus uh, administering grace to those who thought they could never receive it. We see as we read through the Gospels in so many ways that this was the day-in, day-out activity to be for Jesus to be there on the front line bringing the kingdom of God into the world. And so it strikes me that when we say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that we are striving to be just like our teacher, to be like our rabbi, the one that we say we follow, that if that is the way that Jesus lived, and if that was the priorities that Jesus gave his life to, then as a follower of Jesus, I ought to be found on the front lines. I ought to be engaging with the forces of darkness. I ought to be bringing the kingdom of God to this world. Does that describe you and in your life, in your calendar this week? Who? Me? Right now, me? Are you, are, you talking, are you talking to me? Really, me? Yes. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. I'm, I'm talking to all of us. I'm talking to us, the church, the ecclesia, the, the called out ones who said we are now called out from this world and we are following Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ led in that way, then I believe we too need to set our life and our purposes to those missions. As Jesus said, follow me. He's out in front heading into the kingdom battle and we need to be following him there. My mind went to, to like William Wallace who was standing in, in front of his troops at Sterling Bridge as they were ready to engage the English uh, in bad, the English army and he's like, follow me. And they're like, yeah. And they're heading off into battle. And we too, as the followers of Jesus, he says, follow me. We're like, yes. And we're heading into this battle to take on, the, the, to bring the kingdom of God and take on the forces of darkness. Because Paul reminds us that our battle is not here on earth. It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual forces of evil. And we are called to be engaged in that battle. And so I would ask all of us this morning, would that describe you as a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you engaged with Jesus in being about the purposes of who Jesus is and what he came to do? Okay, just dial it down, Pastor. You must have had too much Mountain Dew this morning. We know you haven't spoke to us for a couple weeks, but... You're getting a little wound up now, so just dial it down. You can't expect us to go all William Wallace into the world now. Yes, I can. 
I can expect you to go all William Wallace into the world because I believe Jesus expected his followers to go all William Wallace into the world. Look what Jesus says in John 14, 12. John 14, 12. Jesus says, if we believe in him, we will do the works he has been doing. Is there any question there? He says, if you believe in me, you're going to do the works that I've been doing. And what are the works that Jesus is doing? He's bringing good news to the poor. He's setting the captives free. He's bringing recovery of sight to the blind. That's the works that Jesus is engaged in. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you too will be engaged in those works. But he doesn't stop there, does he? Look what he says. And then you who believe in him, doing the works of him, will be able to do even greater than these. Oh my goodness! Did you read that? That we are able, and the expectation is, to do even greater works than Jesus did. Because I read the Gospels, and, and every time the people were amazed at everything that Jesus did, and he says, we, the called out ones, the ecclesia, the followers, are going to be able to do even greater things than Jesus did. That's incredible. I hope your blood gets just a little pumping here. And how can we do that? Because he says, I'm going to the Father. And if we read in the next verse, he says, when I go to the Father, I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit who will be your helper. And the Holy Spirit will come into the world, and when you put your, your faith in me, I will fill you with my presence through the Holy Spirit, and then there won't just be one of me. There will be an incredible community of me. There will be a church, an ecclesia, a body of those who are following me into this world, and all of you will be able to bring the Spirit of God into this world and push back the forces of darkness, and the church will prevail. Jesus says, that's who we are. And we can do it, not because of us, but because of Him. When He went to the Father, He sent us the Holy Spirit, the Helper. And don't we see that in our Bible reading today? Don't we see that in the life of Peter? In Acts chapter 2, it tells us that Peter was standing before thousands in the very city where, where Jesus was just crucified. Where they crucified Jesus for that good news. And Peter stood there on the temple, on the, on the southern steps of the temple and delivered that good news. I love it now because our group that went to Israel was able to sit together on the steps, the southern steps of the temple. These very steps still exist today. And we were able to sit there and read this story together and remember the beginning of the church that is lived out in this story and who we are and who Jesus uh, calls us to be. And we read that it was at, on these steps that the disciples were gathered because it says here, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Pentecost in Greek 
is Shavuot in Hebrew. This is the, this is the festival of Shavuot. Now you may remember from not so long ago when we studied the book of Leviticus that there were three festivals that God's people were required to go to the temple to worship him. The first temple, the first festival was Pesach, which is Passover in our language, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then there was Shavuot, which is Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, and we'll return to that in a minute. And then Sukkoth, the Feast of Tabernacles, or Booths, the Feast of Booths, which remembered their wanderings in the wilderness. This time where we read this story right here is Pentecost Day, or we want to say Shuvaut. It is the, the festival where they are, it's the festival of weeks. This is seven weeks after Passover. Seven weeks after Passover, God's people were asked to come back to the temple. Seven, we know, is a perfect number, right? It's a perfect number. And God says at the end of these seven weeks after Passover, I want you to come when the wheat harvest, or when the barley harvest has been done, when the wheat harvest is getting ready ready to, uh, uh, to take place. I want you to come uh, to the festival and you are, of course, to give thanks to God because he has provided the barley and the wheat for you. But beyond that, they're also going to remember on this festival the day at Mount Sinai where God gave the Ten Commandments. Because, yes, we're gathering the barley and the wheat, but we know that man does not live by bread alone, but we live by the very words of God. And so they're gathering at the temple to remember this God. And part of that liturgy on that day was actually reading Exodus 19 and 20 as they remembered the story of how God gave his word and he gave his word of life. He gave that, that sustenance that we need. And now we praise him because he continues to give us sustenance in our life. So they're coming together for this festival, uh, uh, Pentecost, uh, seven weeks after Passover, 49, and then on the 50th day would be the festival. Pente, 50. Okay? That's where that word comes from, Pentecost, from 50. So on the 50th day, all God's people would come and gather. Now, unlike the other festivals, which went uh, a week or sometimes two weeks, this festival lasted one day. It was a big day. It was a day, now, if you can imagine this, that all of God's people, all the the, the uh, God-fearing Jews, and we read from all over, you can begin to get a sense, from all over the world, pouring into Jerusalem on one day to have this festival. Think tulip time on one day. Think Coast Guard Festival on one day. It's a madhouse, would it not be? The streets would be packed, the people, the temple would be flooded with all kinds of people, and hey, wouldn't this be a great day for the first evangelical message to go out to God, to the people? That's what's happening on this day, is they are all gathered in one place, because that's where the disciples were. But wait a minute, you might say, because the second verse says, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. You're saying, wait a minute. You told me that they were at the temple celebrating the festival. Now this verse is telling us that they were in sitting in a house. We need to understand the Jewish thinking of the word house, how they would understand house. The house to them was 
the temple. It was the temple. That was the house. Whose house? God's house. God's house. In 2 Samuel 7, 27, when uh, David reveals the plans, he says this, Lord Almighty God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. Remember the tabernacle was God's dwelling place, the place where God would live and be with them. And then the tabernacle became the temple. The temple is God's house. It's his dwelling place, his home among the people. And then remember when, um, when Jesus, when Jesus' parents couldn't find him, right? They came for, to celebrate, and then they left, and they're like, where's Jesus? We can't find him. They came all the way back to Jerusalem. They found him in the temple, sitting, talking with the teachers and elders. And, and uh, he said to them, he said, did you not know that I need to be in, <coughs> excuse me, my father's house? My father's house. House was the word for temple in the Jewish thinking. If you look at this picture here, this is a model of the city of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. Again, this is I continue to promote. Uh, this is another uh, stop that we make while we are in Israel to see this model. And I'm going to see if my laser pointer will actually work on this. Yeah, yeah, you can kind of see it. Good. Uh, this right here is the old city right here. This is where King David first started the city, right here. King David and his palace was right there. Uh, if you, and this is kind of where all the poor people would live, the average people would live. Okay, and you can see that if they were in a house, like a normal house, right? Oh, where'd my laser pointer go? Right here. In a normal house, there would not be room in those streets for 3,000 people to gather. 